We are Vintage City Church based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Welcome to our podcast. As a family, we are currently studying the Book of Romans. If you'd like to watch the live video of this teaching, head over to VintageCityChurch.com. We are so glad you are here. Let's get started with today's teaching. We're about 34 minutes into worship, and I looked at Pastor Gary, and I'm like, it kind of feels like we just started. What are we supposed to do today? It's always a good thing. Hey, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to make an attempt to see if I can finish up chapter 12 today. No promises, though. Last week, Pastor Dustin shared with us just this incredible challenge from Paul's teaching about living in peace and maybe a better way to say it is owning our investment into the world to that end. Really being a people that are very acutely aware of what we're contributing to the peace process around us. How many, like me, found yourself this week challenged by that? What am I contributing to the peace process? I love that phrase where Paul says, as much as it is unto you, live at peace. In other words, you make sure everything that comes out of you is peaceful. I want to pick us back up in verse 15 and try to kind of move along just with this same teaching. Remembering we began this in December with Romans 12 and verse 9 where he says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And Paul is in essence just building his case and he's, and he's focusing maybe what that looks like a little bit more. Because it'd be easy to just say, hey, don't, just, don't pretend you love others, really love them. Be like, oh yeah, cool, what a reminder. And then forget about all the micro places that we tend to do that. But Paul's not gonna let us do that. So in verse 15, he says this. When others are happy, be happy with them. If they are sad, share their sorrow. Live in harmony with each other. Don't try to act important, but enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back. How many just need to hear that? We just, we're like, no commentary necessary. Just don't think you know it all. Don't try to act important. Enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. Now, that pause I put there is not in the text. It doesn't say as much as possible, don't avenge yourselves. His statement to as much as possible is about living at peace. His statement of don't avenge yourself is very clear. Don't avenge yourself. Leave that to God. For it is written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. Instead, do what the scriptures say. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And they will be ashamed of what they've done to you. Do not let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing good. Holy Spirit, as we step into this, you are the guide, you are the teacher. We're gonna do our best to discern what the text says, but we need you to illuminate, bring clarity to things. Reveal them. At the end of the day, I want us to be a people that could follow you a little bit better. 
that have a, a greater understanding of what it looks like to live this out. So we ask you for your wisdom and your guidance. Everybody said, amen. amen. All right, let's pick up verse 15. Let's look at that. When others are happy, be happy with them. If they're sad, share in their sorrow. Live in harmony with each other. Is there anybody besides me who has noticed a tendency in themselves to kind of hate on everybody's happiness when they're happy around you? Like you find it tough to really come alongside of them because instantly you feel a little bit of judgment of like, I'm kind of irritated that they're happy. Or maybe when they're sad, it's the opposite. You just don't care. How many will be honest enough to say, once or twice in my life, I have faked that I cared when somebody was sad? Right. We're like, I can't believe I just said that in church. My hand was up. But Paul makes a statement here that I think would be easy for us to miss. His statement is that we are to join others in their emotions. When they are happy, be happy with them. The word is Cairo. It means to be full of cheer. It, it is the idea of matching or mirroring and coming alongside of what's going on. When they're sad, be sad with them. Um, Clio is the word. It means it, it is literally rendered sob with them. It's this incredible idea of having an, a sympathetic response to where when you're with someone, there's enough empathy coming out of you that you could join them in their condition. Now, when I read that, the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, that's going to be a lot of work. Because it's easier to not care. It's easier to kind of push that off into the realm of, you know, you got problems. Sorry. Or, hey, great. I'm glad it's going well for you. Great. Life's good. Mine's not. And to not engage. But Paul's statement here isn't to just recognize their emotions, which is what I think a lot of us would do. We would recognize, oh, hey, it's great that you're happy. I'm happy for you. Oh, I'm sorry you're sad. That's a bummer. And we recognize the emotion. That's not what Paul says at all. What Paul says here is that we are to join with them in their season. And what he's calling you and I to do as believers is to choose to actually and really engage other people. Something very simple became very difficult all of a sudden. To live as a people who will actually engage with others around us. To really join them in what they're going through. But if we think about what Jesus did, isn't that kind of the crux of the cross message? That he chose to join with humanity? He chose to become as we were. Set his godliness aside to become human. We celebrate it at Christmas all the time. We call him Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. Not God alongside of us. Not God near us, but God with us. And what Paul's calling the church to do is to mirror that same idea. I would say it this way. I think engaging with others opens relational doorways for supernatural, supernatural transformation. You are never going to imprint somebody in the supernatural if you don't engage them. And most people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. And Jesus models that, but we so easily strip it away from our culture because it's hard. And it's really not that much fun 
to have to engage and be involved. It's so much easier to step away and live from a distance. But perhaps we could consider that the tendency in us to distance ourselves or refuse to join in others is actually rooted not in our kingdom nature, it's rooted in our sin nature. Scriptures would say it this way, a recluse, what's a recluse? What's a recluse? A loner, isolated, someone who pulls away and recludes. Scriptures would say a recluse is self-indulgent. That at the root of this lack of engaging is selfishness. That's a bummer because I'm a loner. I have a better term for it. I call it an introvert. But the truth is, Paul's statement here has nothing to do with the temperament you were born with. He's talking about a kingdom discipline. That engaging with others is the kingdom response. Perhaps if you're like me and you're like, I'm just not a, I'm not, I, you go like, really, you're an introvert? I'm a total introvert. So happy alone. Like I picked one human being that I really wanted to hang out with. And I was good after that. That's my core wiring. And then Jesus thought it was funny to invite me to pastor. And so my life has been spent learning how to live this reality of engaging with others. Never letting exist in me that natural DNA of, that's really not my problem, you got problems. And Paul's invitation to us is to become a people like that. What happens if learning to engage like this is actually the antidote to our sin nature? That by choosing this discipline, it helps us begin to transform into his image. Because Paul doesn't lay it out as a suggestion. Some of you that are really good with people and really like people, I want you to love them well. I want you to engage them. I think it would have made more sense if he'd have said, those of you that have empathy, go be with people. Those of you that don't, just be quiet. <laughs> but that's not his call at all. His call is to the body of Christ. If our sin nature leads us to ignore others in their situation and maybe chalk it up to like, hey, that's their stuff, then maybe the kingdom reciprocal leads us to genuinely love others by joining them in their seasons. And here's my question. Who in your life comes to mind where you're like, man, I need to really engage? I've been choosing not to engage because it's messy. Those are the places the Holy Spirit's challenging us to change that. I think sometimes the truth is, that's deeper here is we don't engage because we don't believe our investment in them matters. Church, I want to challenge you to see yourself the way he sees you. That your strength, the camaraderie you bring, the comfort you can bring, actually can change people's lives around you. You have something to give to shape the world, and that's what Paul's dealing with. Do not ever accept the lie from the enemy that says your investment won't matter. You have a king who is madly in love with you and believes that every person you will engage with and touch, you will change. 
And what he knows is that greater is he that's in you than he who's in the world. And if he can just get you into people's lives, connected to them, and begin to conversations with them, that all of a sudden he can start downloading prophetic information and you can begin to be a resource of heaven to that person. And sometimes we don't experience that because we don't engage. Some of you are like, I'm not compassionate. And the truth is, you might be deeply compassionate. You might actually be so compassionate, you're scared of it, so you just never turn it on. But perhaps the world around you needs that compassion. It's quiet. I think we learn more about who we are and who he is and how he loves when we're willing to step into this kingdom idea of engaging other people. Paul adds a phrase into this, live in harmony with each other. And it's an easy idea to glaze past because the root word harmony here means sameness. Now he doesn't say live the same as everyone around you because that's this same Paul will say, come out of the world, be separate, don't obey the manners and customs of the world around you. So that's not what he's talking about. This word actually means congruency and consistency of thought. To explain it more clearly, in the Greek, it speaks directly to a mindset. It's a mental orientation. We are to be in a condition of working to fit or align with the mindsets of others, not requiring others to fit or align with our mindset. How many have ever gone fishing? Do you realize in the act of fishing, you are fitting and aligning with the mindset of a fish? How many of you want to jump in the water and eat worm off of a hook? How many of you have ever thought fish eggs were appetizing to jump into the, jump into the stream, take a swim, eat a couple fish eggs? How many of you have ever chased bugs through the water to eat them? No. But you understand that fish like that. It's what attracts them. What Paul's dealing with here is learning how to make it easy for people to want to be around us because we fit to them, not asking them to fit to us. And the church at large needs to figure this one out. For the last three years, we have demanded of the world around us that they either agree with us, fit with us, and align with us, or we separate. Instead of saying, it's upon me, it's incumbent upon me to fit or align with you, because I've been called to live in harmony towards you, not ask you to live in harmony towards me. Some of us have walked away from marriages because the reality is my spouse doesn't fit or align with me, and it's sin, and it has to stop, because the call of God on us is that we choose to fit and align. Well, what about, what about them? Jesus doesn't give any provision for them. He only gives provision for us. As far as it is unto you, live at peace. Own it. Own the terra firma you stand on for peace and for harmony. And just say it this way. My job is harmony. But what about them? I don't care. Because if you do your job, it won't matter. If you could live in this way and say, and if we could live in this way to say, I'm going to force myself to become harmony to what's around me. Guess what has to happen for that? We got to let go of a lot of things we care about and say, look, I'm here with an agenda. I actually want to stay close to you because you belong to me in the kingdom. And I believe that my impact on you matters. 
So I'm going to put up with a bunch of stupid to stay close. If we consider Paul's language here, this idea of harmony seems to begin with the idea of learning to control our minds towards others. I would submit that you can't be in an offense towards someone if you're working to live in harmony towards someone. I would also submit that if there's an offense in your heart towards someone, you have left working for harmony. Because what you've said is, this thing, this action, this behavior, this moment, now is more important to me than the call of God to be in harmony with you. I hate Romans 12 for so many reasons because it makes zero allowance for my nature. It almost feels like everything Paul's espousing requires a flip or a counter to who I am natively. Maybe you're better than that natively, I am not. But this idea here says it's on you and I to decide to fit with people. We're not saying to the world around us, figure out how to fit with me. I know we have opinions, and I know we have perspectives. I'm just not so sure they matter. If you're holding an opinion and a perspective that gives you the right to be separate from someone in the kingdom, it's sin, period. That's a tough line. What does it mean to actually work to find a way to be congruent with others? Because Paul's statement here is the word others. It means everyone. And I want us to be clear with this. He's not saying it's okay to live in harmony with most people. It's okay to have a bunch you don't care about. That we are to be people fighting for harmony. Demanding it of ourselves not the world around us. I don't know about you, I'm great at demanding it around me, not so great at demanding it of me. I think what Paul's calling for is that we choose to engage people around us because we understand who they are to him. We understand their unique value to him so that we're gonna treat them the way he's treated us. Isn't that how he treats us? When did he ever demand that we got our thinking right so he'd talk to us? When did he ever demand that we fixed our habits so he could deal with us? The very, the very truth of Scripture is that he loves us, moves towards us, envelops us before we love him. And he paves a way. What happens, church, if by mirroring that reality, what he's teaching us how to do is to make all these bridges through the society that we live in, that we've learned how to love people before they deserved it, even when they didn't deserve it, but we're loving them as a, as a precursory movement to say, I'm going to love you, I'm going to be this way towards you, so that when you wake up to your senses, there's an easy road to come back. I would very clearly say this living of harmony is not natural. It's a kingdom choice we have to make through the Holy Spirit. It's a kingdom choice we have to make every single day, probably about 700 times a day. 
I would also suggest that our enemy loves to distort the mind and use our very own perception against us. I would also say he's currently, in this moment, disrupting the movements and the work of the Lord with this tactic. And I think large part is because the people of God have made it easy for him to use this against them. When we fail to walk in this discipline, we make it easy for the enemy to undermine what the Lord's trying to do. And so instead of seeing cities transformed by the supernatural message of Jesus, we see cities that are just repeating the same cycle of brokenness and fissure between the people of God because they will not discipline themselves to live with this mindset of sameness and harmony. And we feel deeply justified to have these perspectives. And the truth is, biblically, we're not. The church at large spends more time focusing on where they're not congruent instead of working to find congruence. It's hurting what the Lord's trying to do in our day and in our time. I only get the privilege of speaking to this house But my statement to this house is, can we as a family settle on this reality? Our hearts and our minds are for the region. They're not just for this house. But we're going to become a people that would live it and model it and make space for other friends that are in the kingdom that might not get it yet. It's okay. We're just going to make sure that we don't set a bad example. That we're going to take serious this message of, As much as it is unto us, we're going to do everything to live at peace. That's a big word. And I'm out of time. Okay, let's stand. I'm a page into four pages. We're going to be in Romans when I'm 60. I was trying to get through. I'm like, I'm leading worship next week. I'm not going to be able to get through it. I'm just going to be, it it will be fine. We'll be fine. You're going to be in great hands next week. I know this is a tougher message with a little more teeth to it. Please hear my heart. We've got to take serious what it looks like to live the kingdom. And not just in the praying for people, not just in the believing for the prophetic. We have to be a people who will take serious what it looks like to live the micro moments of the kingdom, the interpersonal things, the details of what it looks like to really walk in love. Because the scripture says, it doesn't say the world knows us by our prophetic voice. It actually says the world knows we're real by the way we love. I deeply want the prophetic released in this house. I love watching the Lord do stuff. I also have a deep belief that the prophetic and the grace of transformation and the supernatural revival that we're hungry for will never be released on a people that don't walk in love. Love becomes the precursory movement that we make to say, here, O Lord, have I prepared a place for you to dwell. I've worked on this thing so you can rest on it. The Holy Spirit cares a lot more about the Monday through Saturday than we think he does. He cares about who we are at work. He cares about how we handle our kids and our spouses. He cares about all this stuff because all of them are signals to him. My mind is on you. 
I'm preparing a place for you to dwell constantly. With every micro moment, I'm declaring with my life, come rest on me, come rest on me, come rest on me. And oh, we're not gonna walk perfect, I'm not saying that. If we have to be a people that are broken by our own mistakes, enough that in the moment we would stop and say, oh, that was such a poor representation of my king. Will you please forgive me? Lord, would you please forgive me? I want this life to carry your presence. I don't ever want you to feel foreign on this house. Paul's teaching here is about being a people that look like Jesus, not just say they belong to Jesus. This is not going to be tested right now. This gets tested at home. It gets tested at work. I'm asking you to go sit with the Lord and make space for him to speak to these areas. Go sit and ask. Lord, we looked at the scriptures today. Will you search my heart? Will you show me what you want from me? All right, we love you, Jesus. We love your scripture. Lord, we feel the weight of this, this incredible call to not just be transformed from our sin, but to be transformed into your image. And so we just make space for you to do that. Lead us and guide us. May your face shine upon us. Pray that even in our homes today, we'd just be really tender with each other. Treat each other like we just went through surgery because we did. We love you and we honor you. Amen. Thank you for your time with us. If you enjoyed this teaching, we would love to invite you to join us at a live gathering. We are located at 1501 Academy Court in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about Vintage City Church, including our gathering times, previous teachings, and how to become a part of our family, visit us today at VintageCityChurch.com and be sure to connect with us on social media.